If you're studying for the CISSP, CCSP, or CISM certification, you'll probably get a lot of benefit from the WANA Practice app at wanapractice.com. Hundreds of practice questions unavailable anywhere else, all in a simple interactive format, which you can access through any device with a browser. Check out the show notes for a discount code for half off the regular price. Wanna practice? Success and certification is in your hands. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the sensuous sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Rafael Fiedler. And we're just glad to have Matt back. When it was just me and Rafti, we ran roughshod over all social convention and mores. It was, it was pretty ugly. Sorry you about are, that. You are our parent in the room, Matt. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second, but whatever. <laughs> I'll take it. We're, we're very, we're still very happy, and we did miss you. Don't do that to us again. Um, uh, yeah. Sorry. You know, work. Yeah, we, for those that don't know, we do record this during the workday. And I had an unusual situation occur that was very time sensitive, and I had to had to ditch you all at the last minute. And I apologize. Your, for that. your priorities are screwed up, Matt. I just want to point this out. <laughs> this free podcast that reaches three people this is right. much more important than your livelihood and reputation, your professional <laughs> ethics, all of that. That doesn't matter compared to this. <laughs> Good to know. I'll keep that in mind. I'll, I'll let right. my, my, my clients know. Uh, sorry. <laughs> ben well, and Rafti are calling. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, th this first piece that we have to talk about today is, is very important. There have been amazing developments in technology in our industry, and I think it's, it's really important to point these out. Um, I, I don't know if you two have heard about the, the Spielman GPT um and what it's doing it has truly uh breached completely the turing test it is um uh, taken on self-awareness and uh i think it's actually authoring a new sonata and a symphony um it's it's really really impressive uh and it's just one of a panoply of new developments in future tech coming from spielman industries have you have you heard about any of their developments matt Yes, feeling they're they're like a little privately held upstart that's down in Florida, right? That's uh, correct. That's I, correct. I've heard some about them. I, I I hadn't heard about the GPT thing. I heard about some other stuff, but uh, yeah, please go go on. Oh no no, tell me tell me what you heard. Oh, well, uh, uh, what I had heard, you know what Tor is, right? The Onion Router. Yeah uh, yeah of course yeah we talked about that uh, in the first year of this show. Yeah, there's a there's a new technology that's out there called uh, Tur T E R. Okay. Uh, it stands for the Edom router. I think that's how you pronounce the cheese. Edom. The cheese. Yeah. Adam. Adam, Adam? I've heard. I've heard it both okay. ways. And I'm from Wisconsin, so cheddar rules. But okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're a resident cheese expert. Well, apparently, yeah. yeah uh, this is the new competing technology to the onion router. Um, and Spielman has a, a line of firewalls. I've been uh, evaluating a couple of them. I've had some clients that are interested in, in replacing their sonic walls and their um, uh, uh, ubiquities and things like that. Uh, it's called the firewall F Y R E W like the fire festival. Yeah. 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 Fire. Yeah, okay. okay. Fire, fire. Um, so anyways, uh, yeah, their new technology, um, it's, it's now supporting tur. So, uh, if you're interested in getting onto the tur bandwagon, um, the firewall and the tur combination, apparently, 
uh, is the new thing. Um, apparently there's a competing one that's called Swiss, but uh, Swiss is apparently just full of holes. Uh, the tur is uh, uh, fully uh, wax glazed and, and red and uh, uh, plugs all those holes up. I, I think we need more dairy-based uh, security controls and technology in our industry. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely essential that we add uh, much, much more dairy representation. It's an underrepresented segment. At, and I think that, that Spielman Industries are doing great things and making strides along these lines, too. Yeah. Rocky, have you heard of any of this? No. No. <laughs> I was I was interested. Like, what are they doing? What is TUR? <laughs> uh, it is our ode to our number one listener and sponsor, Walter Spielman, who once again gave us another five gallons of gas through our donation link at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized with a Y. Uh, thank you, Walter. You are wonderful, and we're going to continue mocking you and dairy-based routing. Um, <laughs> thanks, Walter. <laughs> thanks, Walter. Um, and with that level of seriousness, uh, we're going to start a new feature on our program. Great moments in crime, where great means ludicrous, hysterical, and absolutely off the hook. Now, it's very important to say this right off the bat. We may laugh. You may hear smiles on our faces as we're speaking, but we do not take sympathy with criminals. And the only reason we're finding levity in these moments is not because of the horror and the terror of the crimes themselves, but because of their awkwardness in either approach or execution and with the arm's length of uh, uh, distance in both history and proximity, we are allowed to do that. It's more gallows humor than anything else. So I just want to get that out in front. We're not celebrating the criminals. We're celebrating stupidity. How's that? Is that, is that fair? <laughs> I think that's fair. I think it's All fair right. to be able to stand stand at a distance and look at some of these and uh, yeah, just laugh at how how stupid they they are. But yeah, actually being in the moment, yeah, it's terrifying. Agreed, agreed. And again, we never take the side of the criminals. That is not what we're about. We are we are on the side of right and truth and justice. Right. That's that's what we're about. <laughs> All right. Um. So we're gonna have to do a bit of a history lesson first, um, especially for Rafti. Rafti, um. Have you ever received a delivered pizza that was substandard in any way, where the temperature was not piping hot, where it was, uh, it had been shuffled a bit in transit, where you know a couple of slices were pushed up the side of the cardboard box? Our pizza typically does not come pre-cut, but yes, I had it when they did not have the tree, uh, the three. The plastic disc in the middle. Exactly, exactly. And it would smush the top of the box yeah, and smush down no, that and get under a bunch of other boxes, right? Exactly. Oh, no. Do you know and who cold? caused those? Do you know who caused all that trouble? Who did? Tell me. I have no The clue. Noid. <laughs> another reference i don't get i'm sorry <laughs> I, I, that's okay that's okay Annoyed. and that's what that's why we're here to educate you rafi <laughs> the noid the noid the noid was a mascot for a pizza chain called domino's do you have domino's in australia yes. okay yes. all right um the Noid was a character devised by a, an advertising firm called Group 243. Um, and uh, th there's a whole fascinating uh, history of the mascot and of Group 243 uh, just on its own. Group 243 had been representing Domino's back when they only had um, 
something like uh, 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 20 restaurants or something like that, very early in the chain's history. And they took them through some very difficult times where there were challenges in intellectual property ownership of the name Domino's, and the, the company was in a fight over that. And it, it expanded from this Ann Arbor-based, in the state of Michigan, um, Group 243 ad firm, to the point where they had uh, secured a 30 to $40 million contract with Domino's. Um, so they had done very well by Domino's. Domino's had done very well by them. When it came time to come up with a mascot, Group 243 decided on the Noid, a character that would represent all of the bad things that could happen to pizza on its way to be delivered to you, and proof that only Domino's could defeat the Noid, or <laughs> as they put it, avoid the Noid. Avoid the Noid. Yeah, I remember these back when they were. Uh, it was claymation. It was back the same time that the California raisins had claymation. Oh, Matt, I love you. Did you know that the same guy who did the California raisins did the Noid? Really? No, I'm not. Really? I didn't know that. That's why it was probably <laughs> such high quality. Uh, Will Vinton. Uh, was the name of the owner of that studio. And he was extremely prominent. Claymation had uh, uh, experienced an upsurge in popularity at that time, largely due to his Raisins campaign. Yeah, yeah. And for, for context, you have to remember, this is before computer graphics were a thing. Um, it, you know, the, the limited com computer graphics were vector-based, ray-based, you know, high polygon count. So yeah, uh, Claymation had, had its moment in like the late 80s, early 90s. Um, if you wanted to do something animated and have it look 3D, um, this was was it. And the Noid was like a little thief-looking kind of thing with long so ears. So I'm and... gonna I'm gonna use two quotes from two different sources uh, about this because they they are gonna explain it much better than I ever could. And Rafti, you'll be able to find plenty of photographic evidence um, about it. The, the first quote, the <laughs> the first quote, and I'm just gonna go right here. Even compared to the worst corporate mascots, the Noid was a unique grotesquerie, a gibbering, pot-bellied, buck-toothed pervert squeezed into a skin-tight rabbit costume. The Noid was a Hamburglar-like character wholly devoted to delaying pizza deliveries. I love that. That is an exquisite description. And then there's one more that I like. Um, sorry, let me... A troll-like creature, the Noid was outfitted in a skin-tight red onesie with rabbit-like ears and buck teeth. And that is, that's that's a great description, right? That that yep. conveys it? Yep, yep. Now, Matt, do you remember having any affinity for the Noid? I mean, you know, they mentioned Hamburglar in here. I kind of liked Hamburglar when I was a kid. You know, I liked the whole <laughs> the McDonald's, McDonald's panoply yeah. of characters. I liked Grimace. I liked, yeah. you know, Mayor McCheese. I, I kind of I kind of <laughs> The Fry it. Guys, yeah. The Fry Guys. You know, honestly, Ronald was like the most... Um, uncanny valley of any of the characters the rest of the mcdonald's <laughs> characters i liked but yeah. uh, what do you think of the noid or what did you think of the noid where we lived we couldn't get delivery pizza because again we lived on the side of a mountain in eastern kentucky and so if we wanted pizza we had to either go get it ourselves or make it at home so we never got domino's delivered but i do remember seeing the ads and um uh, uh, it was cute that that was a weird time for advertising there were lots of mascots i remember Long John Silver's even had a little Pac-Man looking thing called the freebie. And there was, you know, like you said, all the McDonald's ones. So it was a weird time. If I remember right, the Noid even had a video game or two. Two uh, like, video games. Okay. 
and and the sources that I've been reading, first of all, they they all talk about its puzzling attraction, how how the Noid kind of took off in the public estimation. I don't remember it that way. I remember the Noid being ubiquitous and what we would now call today a forced meme where they mm. tried to make the Noid a thing, but people were all like, this is really stupid. This, this, is, <laughs> this is lame. He's ugly. We don't get it. His superpower or his super villainous power is so dumb um, that it, it just seemed like they were expending massive amounts of money to push this on people. And the things, you know, the, the sources I said say its popularity was even reflected in the two video games. I don't see it that way. I see they commissioned two video games to push their their character. Yeah, That's exactly. the way I see it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. um, yeah, uh, the, the soft drink 7-Up even had a mascot called the Spot that was a little red dot. It, uh, from the seven, and he logo. had a video game too. And yeah, and yeah, he had a video game. So yeah, that uh, you, you got to remember this is Nintendo, maybe early Sega Genesis. Um, yeah, lots of licensing going on. A anyone that had in, you know any kind of a platformer, basic sixteen bit, eight bit video game, yeah, you could license the character, put it in there, and and you got instant. It, it's a it's a twofer. It's a video game that you make money on. Plus, it's also advertising. Exactly. Exactly. And, and again, forced meme. They were they yeah. were going full bore on all avenues of media to try to push this thing and solidify it in our mentality so that it would be a sticky enough reference that we'd always be thinking of dominoes. And again, the whole idea was dominoes, which always stood by their deliver under 30 minutes or less, was <laughs> saying, what's that? Until they didn't. <laughs> until they didn't, until people were getting killed. Um, yeah. uh, they were trying to say that they, they were the only ones that could make sure they could bring you your pizza without an incident, right? Um, so as much as I didn't like the Noid, as much as you didn't like the Noid, as much as most of the pizza-buying public may have not liked the Noid, none of us were as upset about the Noid as Kenneth... Lamar Noid. <laughs> oh, well, I've got an unfortunate last name, but that's a really unfortunate last name. This is a gentleman in Georgia. Um, he would eventually go on to become Florida man because he moved there towards the end of his life. <laughs> um, Kenneth, Kenneth Lamar was convinced that the head of Domino's, the head of the company, was purposely mocking Kenneth Lamar with this representation of him in the form of the claymation character. Mm. So Ken Kenneth Lamar took it upon himself to seek restitution from the head of the company. Okay. Now, you know, if you honestly believe, like if I came up for wannabe, if I made a character called the Matty, and I made him look like you, and I made him sound like you. I gave him that little hillbilly twang. How would you go about seeking restitution from me, Matt? What What would your approach be? Oh, probably the first thing would be just to send you a, a strongly worded email and say, hey, Ben, what the fuck? I like that. <laughs> Knock it off. Yeah, yeah, I like Rofty, how would you approach it if I made a, a Rofty character that was a big old cuddly Australian who came in the pouch of a kangaroo? How what what would you what would you do if you wanted you wanted to get me to stop? Um I, I guess like because I know you, I would write you, of course. But what I what I see is that people 
nowadays especially i don't know how long ago this was but nowadays especially people don't write in advance they just complain um so i guess that the typical oh, you'd person, go online and post a, like a bad review or something absolutely and then the next okay. thing would be a lawsuit probably a lawyer you'd go to a lawyer right yeah yeah kenneth lamar decided just to not worry about all that stuff kenneth lamar annoyed on january 30th of 1989 walked into one of his local Domino's stores in Chambly, uh, Georgia, outside of Atlanta, carrying a 357 Magnum. Yikes. Uh, oh. Next logical step, firearms. Of course, <laughs> because of, oh, did I fail to mention that Kenneth Lamar was a paranoid schizophrenic? Mm. I, I may have left that out of the, the narrative <laughs> thus far. But of course, like, how could Dominus know that? I mean, that there's somebody out there with that name who is like who has a history of mental illness. Oh, so far, so far, I am not putting any of the liability on Domino's. And I don't think for the rest of this story, I will do so. I, I, I think Domino's handled this as best they could in the, under the circumstances. Um, Kenneth Lamar took two employees hostage and demanded... Mm to speak to corporate and the then owner of Domino's and one of the founders of Domino's, Tom Monahan. <clears throat> so I, I, I gotta say, again, I think Domino's handled this as best they could. Um, the police were called, SWAT mm. teams arrived on the scene as they do. Yeah, hostage situation, guns, yeah. <laughs> Georgia, you know, I mean, there's there's a whole string of things happening here that are, that are you know, really going on. So, um, <clears throat> Kenneth forced the employees at the restaurant to call Domino's headquarters. Now, honestly, I've worked in fast food. If while I had been a McDonald's crew kid, you told me to call McDonald's headquarters, I would not have known that phone number. I would not have known how to contact Domino's headquarters. So I'm really impressed that the employees were able to at least reach out to somebody and somebody started talking to Kenneth Lamar. Kenneth Lamar, again, um, said that uh, Tom Monahan had stolen Kenneth Lamar's name, Noid. And he wanted some restitution. He wanted $100,000. And he wanted a white limousine as a getaway transport. <laughs> Do you see why this is a great moment in criminality? Oh. Are, are we getting there? Yeah. Yeah. His, something tells me his plan was not thought, thought through very well. Oh, yeah. Kenneth, Kenneth wasn't known for being a deep thinker. Rafti, you had something here. I was just curious, like when you hear limousine, are you thinking about a stretch limo as well, or just about a small limousine? You know, Usually technically in the, US, the you're car talking about a stretch sedan of some sort. Usually, I get it. Usually. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. 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 Thoughts as well. Am but... I incorrect here? Yeah, no, no. Uh, yeah, what what uh, teenagers take to prom? Yep. The... Yeah, exactly, exactly. That was where my thought went as well. But technically, as far as I understand, like car people would get annoyed by this. And, and, and there's I've a difference. Seen, and I've seen some limousine services that offer basically like Mercury 
you know, sedans or Lincoln sedans. But usually in the American zeitgeist, when you say limousine, it's going to be a stretch because that's what we all think of usually, right? Yeah. yeah. Also right. not, not known for being performance cars that are great for getting away from. <laughs> they don't corner real well. <laughs> no. you got to plan ahead to turn one. They don't do but anything very well. if it's a white well. limo and you're <laughs> fleeing, it's real easy to see even at night. Yep. Would not, he, not my preferred option you know I, right. that's not where i would go with this um, exactly but additional question like do, did he want a driver as well because yeah, otherwise like he what different does it difference does it make i mean not that he's a very rational person i get that but like i wouldn't none want of the to sources, drive to none limo. of the sources that i've read have clarified whether he wanted a limo driver or he wanted to drive the limo i don't know i don't know what his grand strategy was or indeed <laughs> if he even had one okay. because the next step gets even better in all fairness and respect to the atlanta police department and 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 swat team they didn't just shoot the motherfucker. Um, which is a far cry from today's police response, I think, honestly, <laughs> yeah, to, be, right. to be completely frank here. Um, instead, they began negotiating with Kenneth. And, <laughs> and, it, and it got to the point where a police negotiator actually got Kenneth to agree to release one of the hostages if the police would bring him a copy of Robert Anton Wilson's 1985 novel, The Widow's Son. Now, Rafti, I'm, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a history lesson to add on to the rest of this history for you. <laughs> Robert Anton Wilson was the author of a series of books that initially were a trilogy called the Illuminati Trilogy. Have you heard of this? Yeah, I guess so. Okay, you've heard what the Illuminati. <laughs> yes, are, I do. Right, I, it's the it's the the fevered brainchild of um, conspiracy theorists everywhere that the Illuminati are some um, subterfuge driven conspiracy minded shadow organization that run the world, and every deep state entity is all connected, and and their strings are being pulled by the Illuminati, right? Yeah, they're responsible for the the pyramid with the all-seeing eye on the dollar bill. The eye of Horus, yes, exactly. Yeah, and and a bunch of other, you know, Mason related, and yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. So Robert Anton Wilson wrote this trilogy very much with tongue in cheek back in the eighties, and it and it blew up in popularity. There were a lot of people who did not recognize the joke and did read it just because they liked the conspiracy-minded stuff, you know? Um, but there were a lot of people who also realized that it was a send-up of the genre and, and found it intriguing. And I never read them, but I had some friends in high school who read them, and they, they enjoyed them very much. Well, evidently, it really touched Kenneth Lamar. And I, I don't know if he was unable to secure a copy of the second book in the trilogy himself and he needed to take hostages, or if he just wanted it as a reference while he was in the dominoes during the hostage situation. I don't really know his motivation for requesting that particular work. So he, he figured, hey, I've, I've got a hostage situation. I've probably got some downtime between negotiations. Yeah, I'll read a book. <laughs> I, I'll catch up. I'll catch up on my reading, you know? Um, 
I guess I would know some sane people who I don't believe would actually be in a hostage situation like that. But in stressful situations, when they have breaks, they bring out a book and start reading. Where I would, where I would be like, I would listen to music. I don't know, go for a walk. But they sit down, um, and wind down with a book in stressful situations. I used to be, I used to be that way before electronics took over literature and before reading stopped being fun for me. I I used to have books. I used to carry a book with me all the time. I even got in trouble for it. Yeah, me too. Um, Me too. I'm carrying around a book. But if I'm in a stressful situation, I like walking and thinking. You know. Not sitting and reading. That's not. Well, I don't think thinking was Kenneth's strong suit. He didn't didn't have a very large area to walk in, you know, because he's in the dominoes. It's not a very large uh, uh, floor plan. Um, Okay. Now, here's where it gets better. The police acceded to his demand and brought him a copy of the book. Well, good for the police. I, I respect the hell out yeah, of that. You know, yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're they're trying to de-escalate the situation, and that's a that, that's a very cheap and easy way to do so, or or to, or to work towards it. Exactly. He didn't ask no for trust. a bag of cocaine. Exactly. Yeah. You know, he he didn't ask for the blood of you know an 18th century poet. He didn't. You know, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't ask for something that was going to put his hostages at risk. He didn't ask for something that was too hard to acquire. So I guess someone went to the bookstore, you know, they sent a cop into a bookstore and buy a copy of a book, I guess. They brought it to him. He did not hand over a hostage. Now, again, I've never been involved in a police negotiation. I've never gone through a hostage situation. Um, But I think when your hostage taker doesn't follow through with one of their commitments now you're more tempted to shoot them because they 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 have demonstrated that they're not acting rationally or in good faith and there's really nothing that's going to bring this to a satisfying conclusion and a safe conclusion all the way around um so if they would have sniped him at this point i would have totally understood that would have been that would have been reasonable it wouldn't have been desirable but i would have understood the police's motivation They didn't. They stayed patient. Kenneth Lamar held those hostages for over five hours. Towards the end of that time period, Kenneth Lamar got hungry. So he forced his hostages hostages to make him a pizza. (laughs) As one would do. You've got all the ingredients. You've got the oven. (laughs) When in Rome... Right. <laughs> you know, and the funny thing is, because every bank robber movie that ends up being a hostage situation, one of the first things they do is order pizzas, yeah. you know, for them and all the hostages. Right. And one of the things they have to worry about is, did the cops drug the pizzas? And, you know, they, they got to mm-hmm. check and all that. And is the guy delivering the pizza carrying a gun and blah, blah, blah. Right. But he's in the pizza shop. So <laughs> Kenneth Lamar, in a stroke of unintended brilliance, took care of that problem whatsoever he didn't have a shortage of food or drink he was okay he was set for that after that last stroke of unintended brilliance all plausible acceptable activity on the part of Kenneth lamar went out the window when he sat down to eat his pizza put his gun in his lap and used both hands to serve himself slices of pizza now a pizza is a particularly perfect food stuff 
to eat with one hand. <laughs> if it is pre-sliced, maybe the, the Oh, maybe he didn't were allow aware. the employees near the blades. That's possible. That's possible. Maybe that, or they just intentionally did not pre-slice it so that he had to use both hands for the I, pizza. I honestly don't. Again, none of the articles. Wikipedia didn't go that deep. I don't know if the pizza was <laughs> sliced or not. What I do know is that by putting the gun in his lap and not having it close to hand, he gave an opportunity to his two hostages to flee, which they took, and good for them. Now, yeah. at this point, once again, now that the hostages are clear, I would have, I wouldn't have liked it, but I would have understood if the cops opened fire with a hail of bullets. Totally get that. If they they didn't, Lamar stood up, fired two shots into the ceiling because he was pissed off he'd lost his hostages. And therefore, all his leverage. I mean, he had pizza, but that's about it. <laughs> a free pizza <laughs> and a free book. I mean, <laughs> you know, he could have sat and ate and read for a while, you know, but he got miffed and yeah. he pulled the trigger. Once you pull the trigger again, as a citizen, I could totally see the cops yeah. completely unloading. They did I think, not. I think as Americans, we know that once a, a, a round is fired, the dynamic changes entirely. You know, as long if you have a weapon, a, a firearm, and you don't shoot, don't even come close to pulling the trigger, then it's you're at one level. But once you shoot, whether it's into you know into the ceiling or or elsewhere, the, everything changes. As well, it should. I think from a security perspective, I think that is a very good watershed to use as a hallmark of action taking, as as a you yeah. know how you're going to respond. And and I think there's even gradients there. Having the weapon is one thing. If you point it at something, that's another level. If you pull it trigger, you know, either at a person or elsewhere, it, it starts going up. And we can see these things. We understand them as rational human beings because we're not Kenneth Lamar Noid. <laughs> the cops still did not shoot and waited. And Kenneth Lamar soon surrendered afterwards, which is the best thing Kenneth Lamar did that day. Yeah. So did he finish the pizza? And surrender afterwards. Again, I'm just I, I, my my sources did not were not that extensive, and and I do not know. I, I okay. honestly don't. What pizza um, was it? You don't know that either. I don't even know what flavor of pizza it was. I, oh I'm coming no! To you, I'm coming to you bereft of facts, Rafi. I'm so sorry. I'm doing a disservice to our listening audience as well. Uh, I but really super, apologize. Um, but but, super but cool, he was yeah. he he was taken into custody alive. And the yeah. hostages escaped alive. And the only damage was two bullet holes in the ceiling and the loss of a couple of pizzas. That's, you know, if if you got to have a crime involving a firearm, that's how I want it resolved. And the business for five hours of Domino's, of course, as well. And the, and the loss of their mascot and the end of Group 243's $30 to $40 million contract. Wow. So there are after effects that Kenneth Lamar caused that had much deeper ripples than what occurred in the store that day. And I think this is worth talking about. Uh, Group 243, like any other um, uh, young person who loses their job, moved back in with their parent company, the uh, Ross, uh, what's it called? Um, sorry, Ross Roy, which was a much older advertising entity that had started in the 1920s. Um, they had created a strategic partnership when 243 
uh, got this huge new contract with Domino's. But when they lost that contract, they were kind of on the on the slumps. Ross Roy kind of absorbed them and then fully purchased them out about a decade later. And then Ross Roy itself got in turn purchased by a mega global conglomerate of advertising and marketing in the early 2000s. Um, so there were after effects. A lot of people were impacted. Almost overnight, Domino's ended the Noid campaign. Understandably so. Yeah. I mean, and this is one of those few things that you can never quite predict as a PR or marketing or, or public affairs strategist. It's it's like the Tylenol with the cyanide. You know, you just you never see this one coming. Um, I guess yeah. maybe now that it has happened once, it's the sort of thing we should all plan for when we're creating branding and so forth. You know, I if we, talk, we were talking about Ronald McDonald before had yeah. the did that happen? Like somebody in a clown costume going? Oh, into more McDonald's? than once. More, more than once. And they but, still have it around. I know Ronald. They, st they still have it around because <laughs> Ronald. I think Ronald's a little different. Ronald was not a wholly manufactured mascot that came out of the blue overnight, and then okay. within two years of creation, uh, was involved <laughs> in a, in a hostage taking situation. Ronald, <laughs> I think, developed organically over many decades. So I think his traction is much greater now than anybody. You know, it's sort of like wearing a, a Ronald Reagan mask to do a robbery. It, people don't blame Reagan at that point. The, the connectivity is lost, you know, okay. at least in that. That's my guess in terms of psychological impact. The Noid had been forever tainted, though, um, yeah. because most people, even if they dress up as Ronald McDonald to engage in a robbery, aren't named Ronald McDonald. And even if they were was named Noid. So, you know, there's a that's a whole separate thing. Um uh this, this so that was a big impact and and it did go away. Now, um on the 25th anniversary of the creation of the Noid in 2011, um he was brought back very briefly as a Facebook game. And then okay. gone again. It was just it was a blip in 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 history. I I, so. I they were floating a test balloon to see if he still had any attraction. And that's if... kind of my guess. That's <laughs> yeah. kind of my guess. And I don't remember it occurring. Do you? I uh, do you remember? I mean, I don't remember no. 2011 all that well anyway. But yeah, yeah that's <laughs> that's so long ago. That's what uh, 12 years ago. No. Yeah. So uh, uh, Kenneth Lamar uh, did go to trial. Was found incompetent and uh, not guilty by reason of insanity, was sentenced um, by, by the, the court to, and remanded to what's called in Georgia the Department of Human Resources. Okay, I mean, <laughs> you can call your, your medical, your state medical entity, whatever you want, but that just seems like a really awkward name for it in modern context and parlance. Um, now... What I had read was that he spent three months in the care of this hospital. That seems really short to me. Yeah. Now, some of these sources are very dodgy. I did only my research online. I didn't make any phone calls. I didn't go visit anybody. So I'm kind of dubious as to how this was laid out. Um, it sounds to me like he had spent three months in this hospital prior to the incident as part of the treatment of his underlying condition. I don't know what his sentence was 
after because when the court remanded him to the hospital in the care of the doctors the court said he should be held until such time as the doctors feel he is safe to rejoin society i don't think it was only three months i think that's what's been reported and i think that's inaccurate i think it was a considerable amount of time he was eventually released he did move to florida he did not quite quell all of his demons and he ended up uh taking his own life a few years later Hmm. um yeah he was he was only 22 at the time of uh this crime um yeah that's 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 unfortunate i mean that's a that that, that's a young man uh who who yeah clearly had some some issues mental or or otherwise um uh sounds you know the cynic in me would say that that sounds like the 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 state and the government and all the resources failed him but uh uh that's quite a spectacular way to make it clear the the failures of of all the systems that are supposed to be there now he committed suicide 10 years after this incident so there was an opportunity for someone to have reached him you know if it if it was possible now we don't know i like to think that we have all of the capability to save anyone if we apply the resources correctly but i'm not sure if he was redeemed i don't know i don't know the depths of his despair and I don't know if anything could have been done. It just seems like an overall sad story. I have a little bit more sympathy for Kenneth Lamar than I would another criminal in Kenneth's place in that he did not directly harm somebody. He could have easily pointed that gun outward from the building as opposed to at the ceiling. And Which is, of course, why the police, why we all understand that the police can shoot. Because like, if he shoots, he could shoot at one of the cops as well. It's not just the, in those situations, not just the, the hostages in danger. It's also the policemen. Oh, and, and anyone eight blocks away. People forget from watching movies that bullets travel. <laughs> and a Especially a 357 Magnum. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> a 357 sure. Magnum was specifically designed so it could enter an engine block. I mean, it can punch through walls. It can harm neighbors. It is not something that, you know, is harmless. So, you know, there's no such thing as a warning shot. That's a shot that's going to end somewhere. And when it terminates, it may be in a warm, fleshy thing, right? Um, so, again, respect, Yep. even in the face of what he did, was very, very wrong. So, yeah, um, I think that's a great moment in crime. Uh, Matt, I know you had one that you wanted to share as well. <laughs> I'm going to imagine Kenneth Lamar is a tough act to follow, though. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for thanks for that lead-in. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we were discussing, uh, yeah, criminality and 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 great moments in in criminal history, um, and and I guess it's it's appealing because as infosec warriors ourselves, we 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 see crimes. Gosh, in my case, on a daily basis, uh, you know, theft and break-ins and stuff like that of the digital nature that don't involve firearms and actual health and human safety at risk. But it led me to think of of another famous one. I'd heard about years and years ago. I I've never lived in Chicago. I've, I've been there, but uh, if you were in Chicago, in 1987, November 22nd, 1987, and you happen to be watching uh, the television station WGN, which we used to get that on on our cable TV. World's greatest newspaper. Is that what that stands for? I didn't know that. Okay. (laughs) It Uh, It was owned by the Chicago Tribune. 
Okay. I, I, I think I knew that it had something to do with the Tribune, but I didn't know that it stood for a world's greatest news. That's a little bit uh, self-aggrandizing. <laughs> if you're going to name your own damn TV station, go for it, man. You know? Why, why did we name this the world's greatest podcast now that I think about it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, if you happen to be in Chicago uh, about 9 p.m. on watching WGN, you may have seen something weird happen and, and it has to do with a character, again, going back to the 80s mascots and weird characters and just how crazy the, the times were back then. There was a character on TV called Max Headroom. And Max Headroom was a pseudo-computer-generated TV host. He had a, um, a TV show. I think it was, just, it was just called Max Headroom. Okay, so it started as a British TV show. Okay. And then it was co-opted to be an American TV show um, starring uh, Matt Frewe, or what? I forget sounds, how you pronounce it. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And uh, so Frewer, Frewer, I think. Matt yeah, Frewer. yeah. Yeah. And, and, and he, a lot of prosthetics. He, yeah. He was both a character in the show as a human being. And then he also portrayed the digitized Max Headroom. Yep. Yeah. So he did. He wore the, like you said, the prosthetics. But then they also did a lot with his image and such to make it. Yeah, Peter yeah. Thing. They, you know, uh, when Max Headroom was on the screen in character, you know, it was, uh, it was all glitchy. If you think of the '80s, Max Headroom is like perfect '80s, uh, you know, cliche, <laughs> glitchy, you know, uh, stuttering when he talked and stuff like that because of glitching videos and stuff like that. Anyway, so so Max Headroom was a legitimate real TV show. Um, someone, however. Um, and, and you could buy, I think I, I had a, an actual Max Headroom skateboard when I was a kid. Um, you could buy, you know, masks, uh, like Halloween masks uh, for Max Headroom. Unlike the Noid, Max Headroom blew up. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> Max I think, was everywhere. I think the TV show was only like two seasons, but, mm -hmm. but the Max Headroom, the character, became ubiquitous. He yeah. tickled the fancy of the American public for some reason. I don't know and why. And I have, when I just did a web search uh, for Max Headroom, I saw that face in the past before. I had no clue what it was called, but me, not have ever heard about Max Headroom before, have seen that picture. I recognize He's still him. used in memes today. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that blonde hair and the, yeah. the, the lines in the background. Now that you say he's from the 80s, I'm like, yeah, I can see that. But <laughs> there was even a point. There was even a porn parody called Maxine Headroom. Oh, gosh. Okay. I'm not sure if I should do a web search on that. But... You don't need to. Yeah, I've you never heard to. of that. I don't have any desire to look that up. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, so Max Headroom being in the zeitgeist of the 80s and being a big, uh, a big deal, uh, like I said, I had a skateboard and he was he, he was on like Coke ads, Coke or Pepsi. He, he became a spokesperson for Coke. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, I knew it was for I think he had a Super Bowl ad. Probably, yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, I, yeah. there's a whole lore around Max Headroom. Um, so 1987 uh, in Chicago, uh, people are watching uh, uh, WGN at nine o'clock and all of a sudden the, the video feed cuts out and Max Headroom pops up on it. But it's not the real Max Headroom. It's a guy in a Max Headroom Halloween mask with corrugated metal behind him that is spinning on an axis as if to create the, uh, the, the lines behind it. <laughs> and the Max Headroom starts talking, um, and, oh gosh, I, I don't even know what all the references were, but it was um, all kinds of weird stuff where he talks, he made references to um, Coke, he made references to Clutch Cargo. Um, 
WGN sportscaster Chuck Swirsky. I don't, that sounds like a, a, a Chicago <laughs> name if I've ever heard of one. <laughs> um, and this was in the middle of a live feed, a live broadcast. On live TV. Yes. programming. Yes. So, so yeah, programming was interrupted. It was basically, so this, the, this broadcast was a pirate uh, broadcast that, that hijacked the actual legitimate news station that was broadcasting. Now, now it's important, Rafti, for you to understand that is the premise of the TV show. Max Headroom's civilian counterpart is a television reporter who's kind of a crusader for justice and speaks truth to power. Max Headroom is his computerized alter ego who has ultimate hacking capability and often reaches out to the public from the first episode, from the pilot episode, to tell them the truth and to bring down evildoers. That that was the whole point of Max Headroom as his character on the show. So someone actually being able to interrupt the broadcast and actually do that? Yeah. <laughs> and he went on a rant. How long was this rant? Uh, let me pull the the thing back up. It was... It was several minutes long. Um, Holy shit. Oh, oh, no, no, hang on a second. No, it was not. The interruption went on for almost 17 seconds before engineers at WGN were able to regain control of their broadcast tower. And and that's uh, what that that's kind of what I expect because okay. uh, network television at that time was so tightly controlled and the feds had such uh, regulation on it that it was really hard to get it. Like even if someone on air cursed, there was that delay button. Yeah. There, there was a delay of the broadcast that you could you could censor it before it reached the public. Um, so yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, and apparently I, th I think it happened twice in the same like uh, period of time uh, uh, for a total interruption of about 90 seconds. So, um, and the second time he came on uh, actually showed bare buttocks uh, being spanked by a woman with a fly swatter. While yelling, they're coming to get me with the woman responding, bend over, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, so if this sounds unusual to you, this is exceedingly unusual. And you can look this up. Um, the, the pe people recorded this at the time because this is a one-time occurrence. Only ever, ever happened once. Uh, but you can find it on YouTube and there's various video outlets. Uh, the quality is really bad. Uh, the, the audio is very garbled. Um, the, the fact that they were able to pick out these words that, that he was saying is, is uh, uh, the first time I heard it, I couldn't pick out anything. It just sounded like static or, or, or mumbling. Um, but anyway, so this is something that happened in Chicago in 1987. And the reason I bring it up is because of, of two things. Number one is kind of technical. Number two is kind of security. Um, and, and number three, the guy was never caught that did this. So the technical aspect of it um, is... Um, that I don't know how it's extraordinary because I, I can <laughs> I can only perceive of two ways this could have happened. One, he tapped their actual technology at some point. Physically, he touched something, whether it was the tower, whether it was a tape deck, what something. Yeah. Uh, because remoting in at that time is just so unlikely and weird. And then the only other way that I could perceive it is he had his own broadcast tower stepping on their transmission. Yeah. And that would take so much power. WGN is a huge and was a huge TV entity in the Chicago metropolitan area. So even being able to overcome their signal, it, it this person is like a nation state is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, and, and that's but that's what he did. He didn't actually override their signal uh, because you, you'd have to have a similar size tower, but he was able to override the, the feeder signal that went up to the big tower. 
and he and he huh. did do it remotely. So they apparently they were they they had multiple buildings, and so uh, as as a broadcast is going on, it's coming from one building and going through radio transmissions to the actual antenna that was then broadcasting it, further amplifying it and broadcasting it to the entire area. It's that it's that lesser signal that he was able to override. So if you think about even that though, that still takes a considerable amount of power, a considerable amount of technical know-how. I mean, you got to know the frequencies that you're, they're broadcasting on. Um, you know, time. Wouldn't he uh, have to be line of sight too? I mean, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you think that this would narrow down your potential list of people that could do something like this, and yet he was never caught. Uh, and they're a news station. I mean, if someone yeah. should be able to figure this shit out, it should be <laughs> them, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, yeah, yeah, it was, it was right up to right up to the point where you said the bend over bitch thing. Um, I, I was almost, I, I was almost suspecting that it was a marketing thing for Max Headroom because again, it is a very Max Headroom in character sort of activity. It almost seems like they're doing a guerrilla marketing thing. Yeah. But once you show bear about it, no, there's no corporate entity <laughs> in the 1980s that would do that. And Coke certainly wouldn't want that associated with their brand either. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Cause uh, yeah, apparently this was about the time that new Coke was a, was a thing. If you remember that whole uh, oh. fiasco of, of, oh. of Coke becoming the, the new recipe and becoming new Coke. And then they went back to the old Coke. Um, yeah. So uh, broadcast intrusion was achieved by sending a more powerful microwave transmission to the station's broadcast towers. than the stations were sending themselves triggering a capture effect. This was a difficult task in 1987, but, but was possible before American television stations switched from analog to digital signals. So uh, all I'd say, um, this is something that, that can't be done nowadays. Not that over the air is a huge thing anymore. Back in the eighties, obviously it was, um, but they were also all analog. Uh, now it's all digital. Doing something like this, I don't know if you've ever listened to like uh, police scanner radios that used to be all analog. Now you can't even listen to them anymore because they're all completely digital. They're all encrypted and stuff like that. But it used to be a thing to sit around with a police radio and listen to what all the crimes were going on in your neighborhood or in your city or something like that uh, because it was all analog. Uh, this was all analog, and that's part of why it was able to be pulled off. But still, um, being able he's to still using a tight band microwave signal, though, I mean, yeah. he, he still has to be within a certain distance and it mm -hmm. has to be line of sight. I mean, again, there's a limited geographic area that you could draw from to be able to find who sent it. Right, right, right. right. Um, yeah. And, and in fact, uh, yeah, experts said that the stunt required extensive technical expertise and a significant amount of transmitting power. So this isn't your 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 kitchen microwave oven type power. This is this is you know uh, kilohertz, megahertz, gigahertz, and um, the pirate broadcast likely originated from somewhere in the line of sight of both stations' broadcast towers, which were atop two tall building, buildings in downtown Chicago. So yeah, lots of power, line of sight. You would think this is the, this should be an open and shut case. How many people can do some pull off something like this <laughs> and have the foresight to know that if you pulled it off. You don't just want to show yourself, you know, or, or or show your dog or show, you know, something going on, you know, in your car or something like that. No, they they planned this, had the background, had the Max Headroom mask, had a script <laughs> that they were, that they did everything. But that yeah. could have been pre-recorded. Kenneth Lamar. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But of course, that war is probably pre-recorded and then only transmitted live. Yeah. I assume so. Yeah, I assume it was pre-recorded, but still, someone had to sit down somewhere with a camera and record it. <laughs> and think about that. Yeah, 
Um, so all that to say, uh, no one ever claimed responsibility for the stunt speculation about the identities of quote unquote Max and his co-conspirators. Cause remember there were other people in the, uh, at least one woman and, and one other person, uh, was also in it. Certain on theories that the prank was either an inside job by a disgruntled employee or former employee of WGN, um, or carried out by members of Chicago's underground hacker community. However, despite official law enforcement investigation, the immediate aftermath of the incident, many unofficial investigations, inquiries into online speculation, the identities and motives of the hijackers remains a mystery. So I just wanted to bring it up because it's fascinating and it's, it's, it's minor. Um, you know, like I said, it's just a few seconds worth of, of hijacking a signal of a giant broadcast corporation, but they had the means, the motive. Uh, what, what is it you have to have for to, to pull off a crime? Means, motive, and opportunity. Is that is that what yeah, the three things yeah. are? Exactly. And they um, did. And they did. And they didn't hurt anyone. They, yeah. You know, this is even no gun was you know used. Nobody was held hostage for any amount of time. This is a great <laughs> crime. In terms, if you're gonna do a crime, this is a good crime. <laughs> Super uh, yeah, I mean some 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 bare buttocks and a fly swatter, <laughs> but but aside from that, no. Uh, no Just as a technical exercise, it's fascinating, and yeah. and uh, you got to respect somebody who who puts that much effort into trolling, which is what this actually sounds like, you know. Right. This is the 1987 version of defacing a website because this yes. is one of those things that you can only do it once. And so if you're going to take your shot, you better not miss, um, because and have some put in good footage. <laughs> with yeah. some great with some great idea in there you know yes yeah, make it make it count right you know it, and there's a couple of things you know i'm gonna i'm gonna walk back my statement earlier if they were at the top of the building you know like the tribune building then line of sight to that tower is probably within one million people so yes you yeah. cannot narrow down who's going to be doing it. And the signal, the interruption didn't last long enough to triangulate anything, especially if they were in a van using that transmitter on the street somewhere. And as soon as they got jammed, they packed it up and drove away. Um, yeah. 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 So, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, again, a microwave transmitter, I don't know how much power it takes. I, I, I'm familiar with like uh, jet fighters. They use microwave radar. Um, coming out of the front of the of, of the nose of the airplane. That's how they track other airplanes, hostile airplanes, friendly airplanes, and stuff like that. I'm not even sure that that would have enough power to override a, a signal. <laughs> how do you how do you do that? And and you say you know doing it out of a van. How do you have a van with enough car batteries in it? The the only <laughs> airborne it. platform that I know that can do that is the RC135, which is an entire converted. I want to say 737. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, the thing is just packed with electronics. One of them accidentally turned off Hawaii one day, um, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, they could from the air take over, you know, all the radio and video transmissions in a local area. Uh, but that's military grade tech. And that's, you know, right. very specific. And it's a huge freaking plane with a staff of people and all the, you know, good gear. Um, yeah, somebody making this in their basement and uh, it's just impressive as hell from an engineering standpoint. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought it checked the boxes for, for technical, for, for security related stuff. Because again, um, if, if you're the, if you're the guy working at the station that night and you see this happen, what's your first thought? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, do I, how do I fix this or how did they do this? <laughs> I think the first thought would be, Hey, is this supposed to be part of the show? 
Because you don't really know what the content you haven't seen the show while you know before it gets aired, you know, and you don't know maybe this is a gag that's put into the program itself, right? You know, (laughs) 17 seconds is a really good response time, I gotta say. I'd say so as well, yeah. No, yeah, especially the the people who are transmitting their signal, like from the station. And I don't know how, if they watch what is coming from the tower. Even they do, they do, they 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 they, do? they 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 have sets of things at different increments. There's a whole series of so yes, like I said, if someone accidentally says the wrong word, they can hit a button to bleep that word five seconds before it hits the air. So they're, sure. they're watching but it that's, unroll. Yeah, but they're yeah. watching it before unroll, they're, they're watching, sending it, and they watch but the after as well. They 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 do okay. Yeah 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 yeah, and You're they keep. They keep tapes of both of those because there was uh, with the <laughs> with the FCC regulation at the time, there were every station, every network had to have an office called standards and practices, which was basically the internal sensors. They were the ones who would tell you whether or not your content were going to push up against social mores and the regulators. They wanted to avoid the regulators coming in and, and punishing them. So they kept tapes of all this to show the standards and practices people and to show the regulators if it ever came to that. So, yeah, they 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 had records of all this. I'm guessing these tapes didn't survive much past the year or so that they needed to be kept because um, otherwise we have really good YouTube videos of it. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. As far as I as far as I can tell, there's no high quality capture of the broadcast uh, anywhere. Everything is, was from people's home VCRs and stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I thought it was, it was interesting. And and even more so because uh, much like DB Cooper and the, uh, the, the hijacking of that plane where he jumped out with a parachute and was never caught. These guys were, were never caught and they never owned up to it. And, and that's, that's, that, that says a lot that you could, that you pulled off something this major a, and B, people are still talking about it in 2023. And C, you've never owned up to it. You never, you took it to, to you your didn't group. shoot your mouth off. Yeah. Which is how you most know? people I mean, get caught. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I expect that there's probably a very small group of people who actually know who did it. Um, you know, the, obviously the three people involved with it and probably maybe another, you know, half dozen of people. And every single one of them has kept their mouth shut ever since. Statute of limitations must have expired. I'd love if somebody came forward and just not necessarily take credit, but just explain how they did it or, yep. you, know, you know, why they did it. You know, I, that would be really fascinating. It would just be neat to add to the collective understanding of our culture. It would just be useful. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So what email address should they contact if if they Ben at benmaliso.com. That's uh B-E-N-M-A-L-I-S-O-W. Uh please reach out. We'd love to have you on the show. Hell, if you lie to us and you claim to be one of these, we wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> we'd have no way of knowing. So please, we'd love to have you on the show, even if you have a good fake story for us. That'd be cool. <laughs> Uh, you know, I love to contrast this with Hollywood depictions of such activities. You know, we think of the classic film Hackers that that we reviewed on the show as a media review and how their deus ex machina at the end of the film is to take over all the TV stations and broadcast their message. It's kind of a trope in in filmmaking anyway. This is how we get the message to the people. Again, mm-hmm. Max Headroom actually used that same thing. 
the difficulty in actually achieving that at any scale and having your message stay up and stay coherent for an extended period of time, enough to say, these are the bad guys and, you know, they are the killers and not me. And to be able to actually do that is really hard. It's not as easy as they show in the movies where a bunch of teenagers can do it from the comfort of their bedroom. Um, So this is really impressive. This is really, it is a great moment in crime. Matt, very good choice. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, Uh, That's all I got. Yeah, me too. I think we hit our time. Rafti, I'd love to uh, have you offer one, but uh, maybe (laughs) next time we do one of these installments. um, As the audience, the three of you listening, and especially Walter, 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 Spielman, 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 if you like this uh, featurette, let us know, and we'll try to do more of them, and we'll we'll add them to the rotation of our other things, such as having guests and talking about current events. Um, But I enjoyed it. I I find history fascinating, and I find history of security even more fascinating. Uh, Until next time. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Matt. Oh, sorry. I was just going to throw out there. As long as Rafi doesn't bring up the one Austrian and and the great moment in in history. Oh, (laughs) see, that's not fair. Don't we haven't done that to the man in a long time? I think since since his second or third appearance on the show, we haven't done that to him, and and that's not fair. That's really not fair. He's never he's never compared us. You know, to uh, the genocide of the Native Americans, he's never oh, yeah. he's never attributed us, uh, you know, Nixonian <laughs> capabilities or characteristics. He he's right. been very nice to us. I he's think we should never <laughs> rubbed Henry Kissinger on our faces. So. Exactly, and Kissinger just died. I, I didn't know. know the bastard was still alive. That's you know pretty awesome. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So much for him. only the good die young, right? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry. I stepped on your outro. Go ahead. No, no, that's okay. Uh, I think there was one more announcement I was going to. I was going to shout to the world. I've forgotten what it is. I apologize. Until next time, I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Rafael Fiedler. Join us again next week for another episode of the Sensuous Sounds of Infosec. Hey there, listener. Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rafti, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. Interested in training for CISSP, CCSP, CISM, SSCP, CCSK, boy, that's a lot of letters, or other InfoSec certifications, Go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com. And that's spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E-A-C-I-S-S-P.com. We are on Discord. Engage with us by searching for the channel wannabeacissp. Feedback or questions on what we discuss? Send a good old-fashioned email to Ben at benmaliso.com. You may hear a shout-out or your feedback on a future show. We're all working professionals in the InfoSec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test drive their free firewall software called Portmaster, downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S-A-F-I-N-G dot I-O. Support Joey's company, Blue Edge Networks, at blueedgenetworks.com, and listen to Joey's podcast called Topic of Choice at topicofchoice.com. Join us on Reddit 
at slash r slash ssoi underscore fans. All opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and for entertainment purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies, affiliates, employers, guests, or even each other. No advice given here should be followed without consulting with a professional for any specific InfoSec situation you may experience.